Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Jules. So Jules, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. And we'd like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you'd like to do for fun, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I am uh, recently an author. I have put um, my memoir out and I have a story of life before sobriety that incorporated uh, trauma growing up as a child and, and pretty much how I've made it to the other side and where I'm at today as I'm thriving and, and moving forward. I love that. I love that. So life before sobriety. So how recently did you become sober? 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I actually re- hit the reset button at age 35. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was, it's definitely not for the week. <laughs> no, for sure. Especially because by 35, you know, you have a lot of your adult habits and community set in place, which is, yeah. it makes it a little hard to kind of leave that shell. Yes. Um, so yeah, more power to you for doing it. I'm excited to hear a bit more about that. Tell us about um, what you, so we know you're an author. Is that like your full-time thing or do you do other things as well? You know, I seem to do a lot of little things. Um, I am a personal trainer. I am also a, a NPC figure competitor. Um, I am a sailor. I love to scuba dive. I, I've I have an amazing life today with lots of things that I get to do. I love that. What is MPC? The NPC is the National Physique Committee. Ah. And so that's a bodybuilding show. I love it. I love Mm -hmm. it. Is bodybuilding difficult when it comes to like dieting and discipline with exercise? Uh, I think it's all in the mind. It's the discipline. It's, but I'm also very, very goal oriented. So I have that real like laser focus. And once I, you know, put that on, it's, I mean, I'm going for it. So yeah, it's a lot of work. It's probably the most challenging thing I've ever done physically is, is do, uh, do competitions. Gotcha. Gotcha. There we go. Well, tell us a little bit more about your motivation. What gets you up and keeps you going every day? You know, I think a lot of it, because people have asked me that, like, how do you have this kind of drive? I mean, Tim, I'm going to be 50 in February. It's like most women my age are like, let's just slow down. And we're looking at retirement. And I think it has a lot to do with the way I was raised. And once I got into that survival mode, that drive is something I never got rid of, even though, you know, my, my environment's changed and circumstances have changed. My whole life changed, at, you know, at 35 when I got sober, but that drive is always there. And so if I, if, like I said, if I, if I want to do something, it's, it's this drive is like this lock in, you know, um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I haven't lost that in, in all of this. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that drive is something that's so important, especially if it's core to who you are to stay in touch with that, despite how circumstances change and not let yourself kind of fall by the wayside when it comes to your goals and dreams. So important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the memoir a little bit more before we talk about your dreams and goals. Tell us a little bit more about your story and what life was like before sobriety and what the process was like becoming sober. Ah, okay. Well, if you can imagine back in the seventies, we have uh, very limited resources. Um, we lived in the Midwest, which also gave us some limited resources. Um, it was my mom and my dad in a very small town and up in the Midwest, it's very prevalent to have alcohol in everything. I mean, if there was a football game, it's, you know, there's, if there's beer, there's a game or if there's beer, there's hockey. It's, it was just everywhere. And so um, within that environment, it wasn't foreign to, to have that. And so um, my father was a wonderful man. And I do think in the throes of his disease of alcoholism, he made some pretty bad choices. And one of those choices happened to be one evening when he came home and declared that he was going to commit a family suicide. And I was six. And so my mom, I think she weighed all of like 98 pounds, like shifted into the, like the survival mode. And, you know, ultimately we, we got out of that situation and, and everybody, you know, everybody remained alive. So, but it was very, very traumatic. And so that is really where I learned how to run, you know, fight, flight, or run, you know, yep, now I'm a runner. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going into like, you know, I'm like nine, 10 years old. My mom is remarried. She remarried into this really large family. I complete, completely got lost. Um, there was abuse within the family. Um, it, it was just, I became very, very small and very tiny. If I stayed out of the limelight, it was the best solution. And so, you know, and, and all of this is taking place and I'm not letting anybody know what's going on. And so ultimately this trauma then becomes rage. And so, you know, I go through, um, you know, my, my preteens and, and right at the ninth grade level, I got the green light from a counselor that I wasn't gonna be very successful here at this high school. And he said, perhaps you'd be interested in getting a GED instead. And so I dropped out in ninth grade. And at that point, I pretty much considered myself an adult. And so um, I took all of those, we'll say life skills that I had at that age, all of that rage and catapulted into adulthood. Now, ultimately alcohol and drugs were my solution. It kept all that craziness down. You know, it let me be the life of the party. And this went on for 19 years. I don't know how I survived. I really, there's gotta be something bigger, right? Because there's, there's just too many opportunities. Um, there, you know, I attempted suicide in there two times, you know, um, it was, it, it was a catastrophe. And um, so life was spinning out of control. I was moving all over. I moved 13 times in the last three years of my drinking. I was just bouncing from one relationship to the next. And so when I was, and I didn't even, I didn't even know I was getting sober. I just happened to mention in the car one evening, you know, gosh, I wish, I just wish I didn't drink so much. And those two people in the front seat, they were both in recovery. 
And it was like within a 30 minute window, I am sitting in one of those metal hard chairs in the rooms of, of recovery. And I am like surrounded by people that I would not normally mix with. I mean, it was terrible. There was smoky people and there was just, I mean, just this motley crew of, of people in this room. Um, but there was something in the room that really like cracked open my heart a little bit. And for whatever reason, I, I couldn't stop crying. That entire hour, there was something magical that happened in that room. And as a woman who had gone through that many years, I've got layers and layers of defense. Like it's almost like armor on me. And so for something like that to really permeate is, is pretty much, I mean, I, know, I couldn't even tell you the last time I cried at that time. And so uh, the women would give me hugs and say, Jules, come back tomorrow. And I have not been told that ever. And so a little glimpse of light and man, I just, I just ate it up. And so every day I went back to that meeting religiously. I was, I was not going to ever, ever go back to the depths that I had gone through. And so then the, the process of getting sober started to take place. And that first year was terrible. I had a lot of rage. I was very angry. I was very hurt. And I was a person with a bad disease. And so I continued and I continued and I continued. And now in you know, 14 years, I have a whole different perception on life. And there's a lot of healing that's taken place. I've, uh, I've, I've done things I never thought I could because I always had such self-doubt. You know, life and recovery is part two, most definitely. And that's what this book is all about, is kind of taking you through the ebb and flow, but not necessarily like grabbing onto the story and, and, and dragging you down. It's about the emotions, because that's what everybody can relate to, right? We all have different stories, but we all know what it feels like to feel inferior or scared or... And so those are the things I trigger, I point on throughout the book. And it's, I've had great re uh, feedback on it. So I'm really glad I did it. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing yeah. that. I want to um, go back to that rage in your first year of sobriety. It had been there since uh, way back when. Like since you started running, you know, yeah. um, tell us a little bit about for those of us who are dealing with rage right now, mm -hmm. dealing with those emotions, uh, words of hope and also advice of how to cope with it and, you know, feel it constructively. You know, with me, my rage would shoot up in defense, right? So, and, and if you think about like anger and rage is extremely powerful for controlling a situation, right? Cause everybody's like, whoa, you know and you pretty much, you don't have to deal with whatever it is, right? So in a sense for me, it was a tool that I misused. It was an unhealthy tool that I used. Now I can't just wish that away or go to therapy and think everything was fine. For me, I had to get to the core of where that came from. Where did the anger root from? One of the things I did was I went to the Meadows, which is in Arizona, and I did uh, a, a workshop that was all about like getting into that core area. We wrote letters to the abusers. We, I mean, it was just very, very um, 
inclusive. I mean, we went deep. And by doing that in that safe place allowed me to leave some of that behind. And for me, it's been a process. And there are still times today, even after all of the work I've done, I will still like, boom, something will hit, right? But now I know it's like, okay, it's almost like I can step back and be like, all right, I don't, I don't need your, I don't need your protection right now. It's like my ego is just like needs to get up and fight or something. But ultimately, I could put a band-aid on it, like I did with drugs and alcohol, but ultimately that's going to come out sideways. And so my firm belief is that anytime I get into that space, I got to turn inward and be like, all right, what's really eating my lunch right now? Oh, it was this morning when that, right? Because it's always like this snowball effect. But to have that kind of insight, I had, I've learned how to meditate. I've learned how to slow down my heart and in my thought process, you know? So those are some of the things that I have incorporated and over a period of time. And physical fitness was also something I could leave all of that right there at the gym. That was very, very powerful for me when I was first getting sober. Because I mean, everybody, you know, nobody has the rage I had, right? Everybody seems pretty cool and easy going. And I'm, man, I would tip over in a heartbeat. But, you know, I go and press out, you know, how many hundreds of pounds on the leg, the leg sled, you know, the press. Um, I would relieve that. I would relieve some of that pressure. So it's been a mixture and it's been ongoing. I feel that. I feel that. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your dreams and goals now. What's your vision for your book and just your life in general? You know, if you ever want to really right size your ego, write something and give it to the public. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. You know, we've heard about we've heard about all that craziness online and holy mackerel. They came at me um, because my book also talks about sexuality and you know sexual liberation. And it has like all of it has all of me in this book. Um, and so when I first put the book out, of course, I just did it in my inner circle and getting all this great warm feedback and, you know, and it's, it's fantastic. I've, I've met oodles of people online and, you know, the women, and I've actually had moms that have come to me saying, what do I do when my daughter does this? You know, so I'm getting this great feedback. Um, and then, you know, we, have, of course there's, there's dreamers all around me. So they're like, this is going to be a movie one day. And I was like, oh my God, do not tell my ego that like, I will not <laughs> sleep at night. Like I'll be picking out the cast, you know? Um, but, uh, right now what the book is, cause we launched in October. And so we, we hit it real hard in social media. And now at this point, I'm pretty much like giving, like I've done my work and now the outcome is all in sources hands, right? It's like, it's gonna get into the hands that it's supposed to, you know, and, and whatever that may be, whatever that may be. I'm now, te- I'm learning patience. <laughs> there we go, there we go. So patience with the book in hopes that it gets into the right hands. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And do you have any um, goals or dreams that you wanna talk about with regards to your, uh, personal training or the national physique? Is it committee? Mm -hmm. Yep. The committee. Yep. So that whole thing started at 40 years old. So that was 10 years ago. And a little backstory on this was that I was the average 120, five, seven, same, like the regular looking 40 year old woman. And I hated my thighs, hated them. My mother taught me this whole, you know, body hatred type of thing. And 
And so I just wanted to get the cellulite off my thighs. That's where this all began. And so I went to a trainer and then I, then, you know, I maxed out on that trainer and then ultimately went to, uh, to a bodybuilding gym. I mean, those, those girls don't have a stitch of fat on them, let alone any imperfections. And, um, and that's really where everything turned. And I started to see really what my body could do. So, uh, you know, I'm working with this trainer. I've not gotten off that meal plan, not for over a year, a gallon of water. I ate all my six meals. I mean, I, like I said, laser focused, I was in, I wanted it that bad. And so, you know, I got to the point where it's, you know, possibility, can I, can I go on stage, you know, and that, that particular trainer said, Jules, not everybody's made for stage and crushed my dream hurt me so bad because I think with a personal trainer, it's so much more than me just going and lifting weights. It's like, you're holding on to my courage and, you know, I'm super vulnerable in the gym. I'm going to do things I don't think I can do. And, you know, so it becomes a real interesting dynamic between, you know, me and my trainer. And so I, that ultimately dissolved that dynamic, that relationship. And so fast forward, I uh, got with somebody else, put on a bunch of weight, muscle, the whole work still was not conditioned enough to even hit stage, but I did. And uh, I took third and there were three people in the class. So yay for <laughs> me. Um, but damn it, I, I heard that. And, uh, and so, but it was like, wow, my body can really, really do some changes. And so uh, I, I did another show a few years later, I got a new coach and, and really did some awesome conditioning. And um, and so when I did the show, it was like, uh, I did it in fig or in physique. And I was like, ah, I just didn't have that muscle mass. And so I placed third and there were probably 10 women. So, I mean, it was, it was well-earned at that point, but I had um, one of the judges tell my coach, there's one more show this year. And I think if we put her in figure, she'll do really well. Hmm. So 12 days later, I got to learn this whole new stage presence, all of this. Um, and I knocked it out of the park. I took third overall. I took second in one of my divisions and first. And I qualified for nationals. <laughs> I'm just like, are you kidding me? That was the hardest prep I have ever, I thought I had ever been in until I got ready for nationals. <laughs> so we get to nationals. Now this is like outside of my state. Like you have to fly there. It's in Pittsburgh. And, and so... I have uh, put everything I have. I'm tapped. I mean, pre-workout does not even affect me at this stage. That's <laughs> how depleted I am. And so, you know, we, we go through the day and everybody's, you know, doing their show presentation and all of this. And it gets to the evening when we do the awards. And so we all got up on stage and, and they're going, you know, for eighth place and seventh place and sixth place. They get to five and four. And I think I'm on the wrong stage. Shit. I'm going to look like a fool up here. I don't even belong on the stage because I didn't even consider that I possibly could place. Mm. And I placed in the top three at a national level. I took home third place trophy. And so that is for Canada, United States, and Mexico. Mm. So now to answer the question, what is my goal? I stood next to that first place winner who got her pro card. And now I know that space is going to be empty. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to get in that space. So I'm going to try to get my pro card now in, in September. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that is my next goal. Place number one in September. 
I'm, I'm aiming for it. Put it out to the universe. Would you like keep saying it? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, sounds yeah. like you've been doing great. I, I'm ready. I'm so ready, especially after the holidays and COVID and all that other stuff. I'm like, just give me the grind. Yeah. I know exactly what to expect with the grind. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I love it. There we go. So we got patience with the book and faith that it will get into the right hands. Place number one in September. At, is the, does the competition have a specific name? Um, yes. Yeah, so this one in September is called um, uh, Amer- uh, was it North America champions championship north america championship so it's it's an npc which is again the the um the committee and and it's held in pittsburgh i think it's the first week of september there we go awesome yeah. you got anything else that you're shooting for that you want to share with us well that will cut out half my year because i won't be able to go anywhere with 20 weeks of prep <laughs> yeah. but you know after after all of this is said and done my husband and i will be circumventing actually the world in a sailboat. And so that's something that we've been gearing up for for quite a few years. I, I've got quite a few nautical miles under my belt at this point. Um, and, and what we want to do is be able to circumnavigate, go see you know some of the other parts of the world all on our sailboat, all completely like unplugged. So that's also on the horizon, but probably not for another four years. That's epic. Yeah. yeah, that one's going to be big. I'm, I'm, that one's going to be big. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Well, yeah. awesome. If there was uh, one or two people that you could meet right now and they would help you take the next step toward either getting your book into the right hands, placing mm-hmm. number one, or circumventing the world in a sailboat, who would they be and how would they help you out? You know, the book, of course, I've had a lot of like dreaming. And of course, I have the dreamers around me. And so for the longest time, I'm like, if Oprah could get a hold of my book, right? Like, let's face it, this woman has talked about some crappy stuff. I mean, like, this is the book. Um, and then the other one is Brene Brown, who's also from Houston. And she does a lot on, on shame and guilt. And I would love to actually just have a conversation with her. But those are my two people there with the, with the, um, with the book. Um, I think of the other two, I think it's one of those, you just got to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. There we go. There we go. And what's the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to really help get your book out there and maybe get it into Oprah's hands or Brene Brown's hands? Yes. Well, of course, like social media is fantastic, right? Like spend the time and then like actually make it a social platform and, you know, ask questions. And and I've had so many interesting comments and, and messages. And, and I absolutely love that. And so, and, and I love that community that I'm making, you know, and it's just as plain as we're talking right here. So I, I enjoy that. And I hope that continues. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. Well, now we're going to jump into our thriving three. Okay. And our first question is what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. My very favorite book, I think is the four agreements by Don Miguel. Is my very first spiritual book I've ever read, and it changed immediately the way I saw things. That book has been recommended a lot. Have you read it? I have not read it yet. Okay, so maybe I'm the third person suggesting that you might get something out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. For, it's definitely been on my uh, been on my reading list for a while. And it's now. a very easy read. It's not deep. He talks very general. 
And I mean, I read it even before I got sober. Mm. So if I could read it in that mindset, I think any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And what's one way you like to take care of yourself? Meditation, like I said, is a big deal for me. Every morning I start my day journaling about things that are still chewing, chewing on my lunch from the day before, just to kind of get that out. And I do guided meditations. I will listen to various things. Sometimes I do silent. Um, So it's mind, body, and soul for me. So eating clean, eating well, eating often (laughs) is also something. And then on a physical level, you know, if I, if I'm not in the gym, I'm walking the dog or just getting outside and getting fresh air. Those are things I do to take care of myself today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What type of dog? Oh, she's a Maltese poodle. Nice. <laughs> nice. Her name is Cupid. <laughs> Epic. Epic. Um, I guess I want to ask. So you said you eat well and you eat often. Yes. I've, been, I've heard a lot that if you eat well, and you eat often, like you do, you don't feel drowsy throughout the day. Is this true? It's very true. And the reason that is, is if we compare fast food with preservatives and fat and all the other stuff that's put in there, that's, I always think of it like that's going to (laughs) stick. When I'm eating very clean, my body knows what to do with that. And it works through it real quick. It shoots my metabolism up. It also keeps me at an equal level throughout the day opposed to eating that really big meal and hitting the high and then hitting that low and you know it's it I think because clean eating you're you're uh, metabolizing it so quickly that it just keeps you at an even balance and in the beginning the way I started that switch was you've heard of a Nutribullet haven't you I've not there are those things there, the blender that you put oh, on yep, yep. drink out of the cup, right? So that is where I started. So instead of having my coffee in the afternoon, I would have something with greens and fruits and all that other stuff. And I slowly started to change the way you just have to reprogram your body differently. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you just feel better. Like my complexion's better. My body feels better. And I just, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, so I don't want to preach too much on it. But um, yeah, I'm 50 years old and I'm about to do a bodybuilding competition. So maybe that <laughs> will speak for itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm like, please preach about it because my energy, typically about 2, 2.30, just yeah. takes a deep dive. And I'm like, this is just not like, it could not continue like this. Um, so I guess my question to you is, what would it be ideal for me to eat for lunch so I'm not like lethargic afterwards ah well first off look at um how much sleep you're getting are you allowing your body enough recovery and what are you asking of it are you working out are you are you running and better yet are you fueling it accordingly right um and then look at the foods you're eating now anything for me out like fast food or anything, it's, it's always going to have something that is not in my diet. If that's the extra olive oil they put in there or a lot of sugars and different seasonings, anything that's liquid is usually has a lot of sugar in it. And that will also create that high and low. So what I would suggest is starting your day out with, you know, a a source of protein. Oatmeal is fantastic, you know, and then do a, a snack or a protein drink in between then and lunch. 
-hmm. and then do the same in between lunch and dinner. And the thing is, is if you eat throughout the day, you're less hungry at night. Because a lot of people will be like, oh, I didn't eat all day. I came home, I ate all that, and then I had, had ice cream at night. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're training your body to function that way. So, and then also like look at fats and carbohydrates. What are your carbohydrates? You know, is it white bread? Is it tortillas? Is it, you know, or is it sweet potato and jasmine rice? You know, I love those sorts bread. of things. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? It's like, you don't have to not eat it. I just don't eat it all the time. Mm. Right. That's really it. I mean, I have birthday cake. <laughs> I, ha I have sweets. I, you know, but if you think if out of like, say five days and I'm eating six days or six times a day, that's 30 meals. If I have a cheeseburger on Friday for one of those 30 meals, I have 29 meals that are still supporting my, my way of life. So if you look at it at a larger scale, and then too, it's my, my body's like a car. You know, if I'm going to roll around in a Porsche, I'm not going to be putting some unleaded up, you know, I'm going to be like premium, <laughs> right? She's going to get a car wash every week. I mean, treat her like the, you know, the princess, the throne she is. There so, we go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. What is one action step that you can take right now to either meet Oprah or meet Brene Brown? Ah, well, first off, I already have my publicist like knocking on their door, like, you know, like hello. Um, you know, I think with COVID lightening up and people actually coming back out and doing, you know, um, workshops and those sorts of things, I think the next step would be actually going and engaging like on a personal level, because we've been so detached for so long. So if that would be, you know, I don't even know what Oprah does anymore today, but, but like with Brene Brown, I'm sure she's doing guest speaking still. And actually like take the initiative to, to you know, get signed up and actually go and see her. That's probably in my, my next best step. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. And I have one last question for you. Okay. So you know how there are people on the planet who have a really fixed mindset they're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change. Sometimes they'll live their whole life like that. And sometimes they'll die like that, unfortunately. Other times they'll kind of make that switch to a growth mindset, willing to accept help and willing to accept change. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes that switch? Well, I think about what keeps me in defense and not wanting anybody's help is fear. I don't want to be vulnerable in front of anybody and heaven forbid, I do not want you to see that side of me. And I think that switch takes place by either uh, the gift of desperation, right? Like I did when I got sober, it was like, I had to, that's, I was desperate. Um, or there's enough healing that takes place from whatever put them in that fear space that, that the little kind of like edging over to the other side starts to take place. So I, yeah, I would have to think that, and it's, it's, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to be, to be vulnerable. And I have to be honest, like the first people I were vulnerable, I was vulnerable around were not healthy, right? It's like, it, you, it takes a while for you to actually create the circle of people that you can be vulnerable with. So that was something else I had to learn. It was not with the present circle I had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to start looking for, they told me when I got sober that everything, people, places, and things had to change. That's everything, everything. 
Um, and that's exactly what it did. And it was the best thing. It was the hardest thing, but it was the best thing because now I have people who surround me who, like I said, are dreamers and supporters and man, they hand me the tissues when I need them. I mean, they're just, this is my circle of people. So it required that. Absolutely. There we go. Well, awesome. Jules, is there anything else that you want to chat about before we sign off? You know, this is coming to mind. The holidays just came through. We have, we've had a lot of turbulence just in general, all the way for quite a few years actually now. And one of the things that I was told is that in my struggles, I was struggling through something and I was told you are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're doing. And at the time it gave me the sense of relief, like, oh, like really, I only supposed to be on page five? Exactly, Julie, it's part of the bigger picture. Like just keep giving 100% where you're at. And that was profound. And so I'd like to end on that note that, you know, we all have got baggage of something or another. Somebody, some people have Louis Vuitton and other people have garbage bags. I mean, it's just, but we have it. And just to find that level of acceptance of like, yep, I'm in the crap right now, but it's this exact where I'm supposed to be. So that's going to be the title of this podcast. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Jules, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, this has been great. Thank you. Yes, it has been a really great time. And if you guys are listening to this and you loved what Jules had to say, go ahead and follow her on social media, buy her book and share her book. That would be great. Perhaps give a copy to Oprah. I'm sure if 200 (laughs) of us send something, send one copy to Oprah, she'll have to read it. (laughs) Yes. And my website is themakingofawoman.com. And so on there, you will find everything that I'm doing and what's coming up. And, and of course, where to order the book, because you got to give me Oprah's address, though. I don't have that part. So I'll send a couple books to her if you get the address. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. And as we always ask, send this podcast to one to three people you guys know need to hear this message. Shoot us a five-star review on iTunes and we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.